From the Draco Vista Studios in Phoenix, Arizona, unlocking secrets of writing, conversing with masters of the craft, and just having a lot of fun. It's the Dragon Page, cover to cover. Hey folks, welcome back. We're uh, here with another show. Absolutely. I'm Michael Armenegay. I am Michael Stackpole. Yes, indeed. We did come back, believe it or not. Maybe a week later than you would have expected. Um, Need to talk about that just really, really quickly. That, uh, yeah, I think we're going to probably be on a every other week schedule. Yeah, we, uh, there are a couple reasons for that. Um, But primary among them, as we, as we sort of shift over to a, um, do it yourself, helping you through through digital publishing uh, uh, format. We want to give you time to be able to think about and apply and, and do some writing and actually use the tools that we're developing. Mm-hmm, exactly. And so for us to for us to be coming in every single week uh, and giving you different things to do uh, is probably going to be counterproductive. Well, and if we're doing a show every week, I won't have time to do what I need to do to actually make the book happen. Well, so yeah, neither will I. So yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So re- the reality is, is that, yeah, we're going to have, we're going to do, basically we're going to do one, one record a month. That'll give us the time I'm going to utilize and, and force myself to use that extra time that I would be doing this show to actually be doing my writing and doing the book. That's the only way this is going to happen. Otherwise, it ain't going to happen. Right. And I think the other thing which is going to be real important with this is that you guys go ahead and utilize the voicemail yes. to give us feedback, to present you know the difficulties that you're having uh, so we can begin to incorporate that. Exactly. Um, you know, I just got through teaching an eight-week course at Arizona State University uh, about uh, doing all of this sort of stuff. And uh, the questions that I had from the students were absolutely invaluable. Right. Because that allowed me to shape what I was teaching them to what their needs were. Uh, and so it's going to be both talking about, and this is going to be a, a lot of fun for us. You know, mm-hmm. we're going to be talking about the the whole, really, you know, three areas. One is the writing area. Two is some of the technical stuff about how you get your things going, and, mm-hmm. then, and then some of the marketing things. Um, and these are these are all three fairly critical points that you have to address, absolutely, um, if you want to to see any success at all uh, out there today. And the number is two zero six three five zero. Read that's two zero six three five zero seven three two three. Send your comments in. Send your questions in. Uh, I cannot promise that all of them are going to get played on this show, but please send them in anyway, because what I need is a lot of comments and a lot of questions from you so that we have the stuff to pick out as we need that, as the topic dictates. Right. So if we're talking about chaptering or we're talking about writing or we're talking about how to promote or how to uh, involve social media or involve the website. We have comments, we have questions, we have things from you that we can pull in and use to help support that that, that comment. This is going to be about you folks. You're, right. you're going to contribute a lot on this a, as we go forward with this show. It's not going to be just about us sitting right. here. Right. It's going to be all of us basically sharing our thoughts and, and getting these comments in so that we can build a show that is informative and hopefully entertaining and and for all of you who, who you know are, are afraid oh, oh my god you know i'm not going to hear from my favorite authors or anything uh no we'll still have author interviews oh, yeah. we'll still talk to them on this on this area and find out what's going on because because a we like talking to them too 
Um, and again, you know, the whole idea about all of us sort of, you know, putting our noggins together to figure all of this stuff out is that the more brains and the more conversation we have, the mm-hmm. more ideas that we create. And then we and then we go forward from there. The author interviews are probably going to be more directed at topic and less about, oh, so tell us about your book. We're probably not going to be doing that anymore. I, I, I really don't think we've I think we've kind of evolved past that now. And uh, with this new direction, it's more about giving you the tools that you need in order to move forward. I mean, this this is becoming more of a, a, a truly educational um, show. Oh, don't say that because that's death. I know. OK, it's entertainment. So it's an inner it's an. Um, We're in, it's an empowering educational, show. Educational, it's, it's entertain. An, it's, it's an empowerment show. Um, it's an empowerment show. An empowerment show. There empowerment go, show. There. Yeah, self help. Self help. There you that's go. Right. Oh yeah. Oh, that's big buzzword. Yeah, <laughs> there, there you go. go. Self help. I like that one. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. On that note, we're going to take a break. We'll be right back. Hello. Welcome to Dragon Sushi. Take order. Um, yeah, I'd like two tuna rolls and two California rolls and can I get a slice of sci-fi? Oh, what is slice of sci-fi? What is slice of sci-fi? Why, it's an award-winning podcast. That's what slice of sci-fi is. Oh, we know I have slice of sci-fi. What do you mean you don't have slice of sci-fi? We know have. You go. But I need my slice of sci-fi. I give you a slice of sci-fi. Whoa. Slice of Sci-Fi can only be found at www.sliceofsci-fi.com. Hi, Mike and Mike. This is Allison from Denver, Colorado. I've been listening to Cover to Cover for several months now, and I'm not a writer myself, but I love to hear you talk about the ebook market and listen to the author interviews. I've owned my e-reader for about a year, and I'm becoming more and more frustrated with ebook pricing. Just this month, I bought a book by an author I hadn't read before. It was priced reasonably at $5.99. I liked the book and went out to purchase another of hers this weekend, only to find that all of her books were now priced at $9.99 or more, including the one I bought for $5.99 just a few weeks ago. Similarly, I watched the pricing on George R. R. Martin's books go from $5.99 around Christmas to $8.99 now. Certainly, in the grand scheme, paying $8.99 for a book isn't bad. It's just the frustration that the prices seem to be rising across the board for something I can't even lend to a friend in most cases. I'm borrowing more and more books from my library rather than buying them this spring. I noticed that many consumers are showing their displeasure with the pricing by giving one-star reviews on barnesandnoble.com and Amazon, but that seems unfair to the author to me. It is. I know you both advocate for lower ebook prices. Do you have any guidance for us as book consumers about how to wade into the fray and have our voices heard? Uh, you know, this, it's not just ebook. This has been happening for years. This happens in books too. You just don't notice it as much because the, we're in the information age where you can instantly basically cross consume across several different vendors. That's the only, the, the only difference is internet has changed it. Because this has happened in books all the uh, forever. I mean, that was, if if a book became hot, it became a mar. You know, it went into a movie. You'd see that book on the shelf for a higher price than maybe what it came out for originally. It's just that you couldn't search before, so you as the consumer didn't know that the price was cheaper or that it became or or it went up. I agree that the pricing is all kind of jacked up and all over the place and nobody really has a good idea of where the price point is. Uh, but I do think that'll settle down to some extent. Well, you have to remember that for Amazon and some of the larger retailers, the, the, the place for self-published books 
mm-hmm. uh, that that's the sweet spot is between two ninety nine and nine ninety nine because if your if your book is priced in there, uh, you the author get seventy uh, percent of the of the money. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there is an impetus to keep us within that within that stricture in that area, mm-hmm. um, and obviously nine ninety nine you know that's more money than you're going to get if it's five ninety nine. Right. There are a lot of people who advocate using promotional pricing. Uh, you know, sell the first book in a series for ninety nine cents, and and the others are four ninety nine or five ninety nine. That's fine. Usually, when I see that, and and when people come to me and say, "Should I do that?" My response always is, "If you want to do that, that's fine." But note in your description of the product that the ninety nine cent price is a promotional price subject to change. Right. Okay. Just as a marketing tool that encourages people to buy now as opposed to waiting. Right. Okay. And also it means that they're not going to be shocked when, when the price goes up ultimately for consumers, pretty much all you can do. Cause I agree giving one star reviews to protest price is not fair to the author. No, it's not. Um, pretty much what you can do is you can go ahead, find authors who are selling material at prices that are fair. Now, mm-hmm. My feeling on terms of fair price is simply this. 10,000 words, roughly speaking, takes the average reader uh, an hour to read. Right. Okay. So as far as I'm concerned, then I don't mind pricing my stories at a dollar per hour of entertainment. Hmm. And I usually I usually cap it around six bucks. Because so I figure if it's one of my older books that was really, really long, you know, cap it at six bucks because that's that puts it under the paperback price, mm-hmm. and I think that's a fair a fair place to look at. Wow, metering your books for <laughs> that's kind of interesting. But it's a it's a really simple. And, it and is the, actually an it's an interesting rule of thumb. I've never thought of it that well, way. Well, and, and the reason I came to that is that the BBC read rate is uh, three words a second. Mm-hmm. So you do the math; it comes out to ten thousand words is roughly an hour's worth of entertainment. Okay. Okay. So so that to me is a fair price then, uh, and that's and that's how I that's how I choose to go ahead and and price my books. And there are a lot of other authors that are doing that too. Um, you know, when I was at World Fantasy, I had discussions with people, and there seems to be a consensus. And even some of the the hardliners who were holding at two ninety nine now are coming up a little bit. So it seems that four ninety nine, three ninety nine, four ninety nine, five ninety nine seems to be a sweet spot where the readers seem to be okay with paying that price for novels mm-hmm. and the authors are kind of enjoying getting that price for novels because we can provide you guys more entertainment and we get to take home more which means we get to write more and provide you with more entertainment i i, I look at it this way i mean if you're paying less for a book than a latte then there's something wrong that that's not that's there's something either wrong with the product or there's a, there's a disconnect with what there is for value because there there's still got to be a value for content. I, I I'm right. I'm a big believer in that because if you're if you're knocking stuff down to where there's no value to it, then it has no value. But but then the problem we have is that how do we judge the value? Okay, if if I you like spend, your meter rate, yeah, I think yeah. that's a brilliant idea. I mean, I, I I'm not knocking it. I think I mean that's if we could uh, assign that meter rate across. T- the industry that would be phenomenal well all it takes is you know all it takes is for is for authors to say hey look i'm pricing this at this because 
that's what I think is fair. I mean, know? and Martin would be thrilled to death with you. Oh, well, <laughs> Cause, yeah. Because, good Lord, I mean, his, his books take like a week to read. <laughs> oh, no, absolutely. Absolutely. But this is, you know, this is it. And, yes, I, I know everybody who's listening to me is an above-average reader, so they probably get through them a little bit faster. So you feel a little cheated, but then you're above-average reader. So, you know, yeah, there you congratulations go. for you. <laughs> you know, I'm just, I'm just looking at the, you know, the, the everyday guy who's going to be out there. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Hi, Slicers. It's Theresa from Annapolis. I was listening to your conversation about the demise of certain large book chains like Borders and the possible demise of large book chains in, in general in mm. the electronic age. And I got to wondering whether this change would result in the resurgence of independent booksellers and small niche bookshops it seems yeah. to me that there are reasons to like print that, um, you know, people like to share books, which it's difficult to do on a lot of the readers and so on. And a variety of reasons that people might like print. And I'm wondering if uh, independent booksellers could uh, grow into a niche market for those who do want print, whether, you know, as long as print materials are still published at any rate. And possibly such booksellers could stock all kinds of print materials um, as long as they're still available, whether it's uh, vintage, used, newly printed books, magazines, comic books, since comic book stores are struggling a bit with their sole product being comic-related stuff. Anyway, do you think that that's a possibility out of the possible loss of the large chains given the changes in how we read? Just curious about your thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you look at successful independent bookstores, and mm-hmm. we're fairly lucky in the in the Phoenix area that we have two, uh, the Poison Pen in Scottsdale mm-hmm. and Changing Hands in Tempe. And when you look at, at both of those stores, they are extremely well stocked. Mm-hmm. Their staff is knowledgeable in the product lines. Uh, and they have, uh, the Poison Pen has got uh, a great system and a lot of uh, internet sales for signed first editions because they get a lot of authors coming through yes, doing do. signings. Not to mention they've got a huge following. They've got exactly. a lot of people that are ju- that are very loyal to that store, that follow that store, that spend a lot of money in that store. Absolutely. And Changing Hands uh, regularly has events. I teach classes out there, you mm-hmm. know, among other events. So they regularly have events that draw people in. And I was talking to one of the one of the people who runs Changing Hands and her comment and I think I've mentioned on the show before is that you know, really, her store is an event venue with a large gift shop. Yeah. You know, and, and so so we are going to go ahead and see that. The real trick is that the niche stores have to remember that that's what they are. They need to be providing a community service, which is more yes. than just having uh, the, the books there. A stack of books and a few people behind a cash register to take your money. That's not what it's about anymore. No. It's about creating a community of mm-hmm. uh, people, of book lovers. Right. Um, maybe maybe we're talking antique bookstores. Maybe we're talking uh, Maybe we're talking the, the niche, the novelty, the gifts. She's right with that. It's what? an event venue with a gift shop. That's awesome. Right. And, and you know, I, I come out of the gaming industry where... Mm-hmm. 
every game shop that's successful has a gaming room. Right. Has a place where people can come in. It becomes that community center. They can have those, you know, I mean, it would be fantastic if you had a niche bookstore and you set aside an area and on Saturdays during November for NaNoWriMo, you had people come in and do write-ins. Yes. You know, they bring their computers and they're all sitting there together and they are just typing away and they're just having a blast. Add the social activity to the retail environment. Absolutely. Uh, yep. You know, make up the, you know, have classes, uh, have discussion groups, mm-hmm. have, you know, you can find all sorts of interesting things to do. You can have panel discussions. I mean, you take have every- us come down and do a show. Well, well there we go. But <laughs> but everything, everything that gets done at a science fiction convention in terms of panels and in terms of, of, of readings and all of those mm-hmm. things can easily be done in a store venue. Absolutely. And scheduled. And, and so as long as you're, you're aware of that and, and what it really comes down to is this is that the things that we do, we produce, that, that we offer, are not essential to life. Right. Okay. They're entertainment. They're, they're entertainment. Therefore, what you have to do is you have to convince people that being entertained at your venue is part of their life. Right. And you do that by providing things that they're interested in, that they want. Right. And, and that's when you drag them in. Do we want to touch a little bit on the Walden Bookstore demise that's happening i mean we're i'm seeing a tremendous amount of them closed down i don't know if they're completely dead well walden walden's completely dead is it, uh, border, borders is completely dead yeah um you'll end up seeing continued retraction of barnes and noble as barnes and noble moves out of stores where they don't actually own the land oh okay okay when because barnes and noble owns a lot of the land underneath their stores mm-hmm. so those those stores they'll they'll retain uh, other ones i suspect where they where they don't own the land as long as it's in a profitable center and stuff like that those they'll retain but um, they're going to start weeding they're, they'll start thinning back oh absolutely i mean they already have you yeah. know and so and so we've seen i mean the store the big mega store nearest me gone yeah you know so the and, and uh i didn't realize walden was completely gone because there's still yeah, a Walden, couple stores. Walden, walden's part of borders oh okay so that's the that must be an independent store then because there's still a walden's that's up and operating so oh, okay well, um, maybe, it, maybe maybe it's an independent store that just hasn't taken the sign down yet that could be very that possible yeah, got so, got sold or, or something like yeah. that. Who okay. knows? Okay, um, but yeah, it's a it, it's crazy. It's it's getting it's getting harder and harder to find bookstores. And what we're seeing is what we're talking about is is independent. Well, one and, and one of the big problems that that we've got because of the loss of self, shelf space is that we're getting the periodicalization of novels, mm-hmm. which is to say, novels are being treated like magazines. So because there's less shelf space you don't have room for all the back issues. Right. And you don't have room for the books that were released four months ago when you get the new shipment in. Right. So, I mean, it, it, was, it was driving me nuts when um, uh, At the Queen's Command had come out last November, you know, it, it, roughly a year ago. And by April, I could not find it in bookstores. Mm-hmm. Which is, I mean, that's just never happened. I mean, it'll always be there for a year. Mm-hmm. I mean, that had been the way it had been for the entirety of my career. And now four or five months in, it's just not there anymore. Right. Uh, and that's because shelf space had to be vacated of those books to, to get the, the other new stuff brand in. new stuff in that was going to sell a lot faster. Wow. And so, and and the New York's response to that, traditional publishing's response to that, is to shorten the cycle time between books in a series. You know, they wanted to, if you're only going to get four months on the shelf, ideally they'd like to have the second book 
you know, out before the first one's gone away. Wow. Um, you That's going to so, really crank up the, the direction time. Whoa. It, exactly. So if you're not moving fast, you know, then, then you've got a bit of a, got a bit of a problem there. Um, so this is, again, this is a lot of material that in, in ways that the whole market is shifting mm-hmm. that, and, and of course it doesn't hurt Barnes and Noble not to have the backlist there. Because when somebody comes in and they don't find the backlist, they go to the Barnes & Noble clerk and they say, hey, I was looking for this book. You've got the second one in the series on the shelf. Where's the first one? And the Barnes & Noble clerk very, very cogently says, well, I can special order that for you and you'll have it in, you know, four to ten days. Yeah, or less, actually. They're pretty quick now. Well, they are. But but let's say it's going to be that or... You can come over here if you've got a Nook, or if you're in your smartphone, uh, you've got the Nook and app. Do the electrical, electronic. Yeah, you can just you can download it right now. You'll have it instantly. Yep, that's going to be it. Is yeah. all the all the backlist is going to go to electronic? Yep. And one of the things that we've seen with uh, one of the things that I did with Perfectly Invisible, which was the 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 digital original novel that I released in the beginning of October, mm-hmm. is in the end of that book, I put a sample chapter of another book that I have out digitally. And I saw a marked increase in sales in that other book because as people got through Perfectly Invisible, they read that sample. And at the end of that sample, there was a hot link that would take them to the page where they could go and buy the next book in the series. Right. And this is, this is fairly critical in terms of marketing. Just putting those hot links in to encourage people to one-click, intrigue them, one-click, bang, they buy – very strong thing mm-hmm. for uh, for us to be able to do uh, to to convince people to continue to read uh, read more product. Right. So the same thing that the bookstores are going to do of hey you can come over and you get it on your Nook. We get to do from inside the Nook. Right. We get to do it from inside the iPad and inside the Kindle. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, it works very very well. Hey guys, this is Ben in Tampa. I'm leaving a message for Dragon Page specifically for Mike Stackpole and Mike Meningay. Wanted them to. Uh, hear about a podcast I was listening to. I was listening to Adam Carolla's podcast, which you guys may or may not be into, mm-hmm. but specifically the April 21st, 2011 episode, the entire first hour, was Adam talking about his audiobook and the difficulties he's having with Crown Publishing because he wants to produce a second version of the audiobook using his own resources, his own audio, basically doing all the work, and split the money with them, and they're giving him a hassle. Why? Precedent, because that's not how things are done. Anyways, I know that this is an argument you guys love to talk about. Um, it's another example of someone who's in new media, who's trying to do something interesting and different, and old media is fighting the fighting uphill. Uh, love to hear if uh, you guys had any opinions on it, if you guys listen to it. And even if you don't talk about it on the show, I thought it would be something you'd be into. Catch you later. Yeah, the, uh, one of the things in book contracts is that you have the rights and the pieces of the books that you're selling. Mm-hmm. Uh, and how much the splits are going to be for royalties. Um, one aspect of that clause that talks about the splits or another clause in the contract that generally is right before that one, and I know because I've studied it recently on a lot of my old contracts, mm-hmm. is that when you sign these rights, when you agree to splits and stuff like that, as long as those rights are mentioned in the contract, it is the publisher's prerogative as to whether or not to exercise those rights. Right. Okay. So that if if an audiobook company comes to my publisher and says, "Hi, I want to do an audiobook of this book," and they say no for whatever reason, mm-hmm. uh, I can't turn around and sell those rights to that same person or sell them to anybody else. Is their prerogative. So 
contractually, unless that clause was struck from Adam Carolla's contract, um, it would be Crown Publishing that had the first mm-hmm. yes, no uh, shot there. And that may be where a lot of their difficulty with it is coming. In terms of you know, his wanting to do it and produce it all by himself uh, and those things and then split the money with them, um, yeah, that terrifies them because they've never seen that sort of thing happen no. before. And not to mention the fact they have no control over it. So it's this nebulous thing. It's like, wait a minute, you're creating a product that we have no part of. We have no control over. We have no say over. And then you're going to split the profits with us on your terms, telling us how many you sold. That's out of their control. Mm-hmm. There's too many elements that are out of their control. I see this. I even see where the publisher would have an issue with right. it. I would have an issue with this if I was the publisher. I get it. I really do. Um, so I will defend the publisher on this one. Adam may have great intentions, and he has the you know he has the best interest and in heart for himself, trying to move forward. But sorry, bud, I, I I see their point on this one. I really do. Now here's the here's the interesting thing that that the silver lining in that particular case mm-hmm. is that I do think the window is going to be open for authors and publishers, publishing houses, to be doing more in the way of joint ventures, right? Where I might say, hey, look, like I could take I could take uh, in here are yours, I'm dead, mm-hmm. and I could talk to a small publisher and say, you guys want to do a print edition of this book? That's great. What I'm going to do is I will waive any advance, mm-hmm. but I want a higher amount of the profit. Right. Okay. Exactly. So, yeah. So I'm going to do this. I will give you guys that. You give me this. And so I think we, so, so, and the thing is, I think a lot of the small presses, a lot of the publishers, uh, you know, who are just becoming aware of how things are changing, mm-hmm. I think they're going to be more receptive to some of those things, provided those deals can be structured in a way that's mutually beneficial to all parties. And going back to Adam just a little bit here, um, because I, I, I don't know the story. I don't know the details of this, obviously, but just from this off the cuff, um, what I would say is that if you could, if he would have produced maybe a chapter or produced a couple of chapters as a sample and then approached him with that in hand saying, this is what I can do. This is what I'm going to be, what I'll be able to do. What can we do to work together and make it a joint venture, not come at them with, I'm going to do this and this and this and give you half the profits and, and expect them to go, Oh, that sounds great. Yeah. It may have been, it may have been in the approach, but I, you know, I remember back in the, back when I was doing the star Wars books and I knew they were going to do an audio version of I Jedi. And mm-hmm. I said, uh, I said, Hey, you know, I'd like to read that. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, my request was rejected because they said, you don't do voices. <laughs> they, they never asked if I could do voices. Right. Uh, you know, but I'm a writer. So, right. you know, they're going to hire actors who can do voices. And the, and, the, and the actor that they got, I think it was Tony Heald, uh, did a stunning job with it. Mm-hmm. And I got no complaints. But I really, because it was written first person, I really wanted to read it. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought that that would have been a lot of fun. But, but you know, their answer was no. And I, I certainly understand that. Though I must admit I did fume when I was told, oh, you, you don't do voices. And it's like, um... I've been a game master for more <laughs> years than you've been alive. You know, but it's you not on your resume. It's that's not on my resume. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. yeah. So. <laughs> All righty. I think that's going to do it for this show. We're going to wrap up a little short this week um, just because we need a lot of prep here. Well, and um, I think, I think, look, what's going to be important for you guys is already start thinking about, you know, what sort of project you'd like to work on in, mm-hmm. in, uh, in, in coming along with this on this, on this odyssey. Uh, you know, whether it's a single story or it's going to be a novel or a series or whatever, 
um, you know, this is something you'll be able to do. And, uh, and when you're through this, the same time that Mike is putting his book up on, uh, uh, and yeah. making it available, you guys will be able to do exactly the same there thing. And it will be very, very cool. So there'll be a couple shows in December, um, yep. to get us through the holidays. Hope everybody has a good, happy holidays and Thanksgiving. We'll, and we'll try and keep stuff. you apprised of what the new, uh, the new, uh, ebook readers look like. So you'll know which ones to buy and That's you can right. recognize when, no, uh, when they show up <laughs> under the tree. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But, uh, yeah, January looks to be a very interesting month all the way around. So yeah, you, you're going to be in training. Yes. I expect you in here in track suits. Okay. Okay, you know, I, I, I get, will get those I will get do. those fingerless gloves. Get your pen ready. You okay, know, that's right. I'm ready to go. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks, we will see you again in a couple weeks. <laughs>